On October 1st, 2017, life was damn good for Jordan Spieth. He'd just turned 24 years old, and he was the number two player in the world. Two months earlier, he won the British Open, his third major, and he was just a PGA Championship short of the career Grand Slam. At 24, it was a Tiger Woods-like trajectory. But he wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. He'd had a few to drink. It was a celebration. The U.S. team had just annihilated the internationals in the President's Cup at Liberty National, and Spieth was asked what's the funniest chirp he heard from the fans all week. See, woo, shaking that ass, shaking that ass, shaking that ass. That was the best song, for sure. That was definitely my favorite. Three years later, Spieth was fielding questions after shooting a scrappy, ugly three-over round on Thursday of the U.S. Open. His tone, as you're about to hear, was rather different. Because Jordan Spieth was slumping. Hard. His last four results coming into that week, T71, T72, miscut, miscut. He hadn't won a tournament since that 2017 British Open, and he was all the way down to number 67 in the world rankings. So what was wrong? There's a lot that's off. Um, I'm not really sure if I knew I'd fix it. Standing on a tee at a U.S. Open and not exactly knowing where the ball is going to go is not a great feeling. Uh, I know you guys probably haven't experienced that before, but it's not, it's not incredibly enjoyable. In most sports, such a dramatic fall from stardom is pretty rare. Take tennis, for example. You've had the same three guys, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic, dominate the sport for over a decade. But in golf, this happens all the time. Spieth went through it, though... Thankfully, he's finally coming out the other side. But now it's Ricky Fowler who's free-falling down the world rankings. And it happened to Hunter Mahan, Brendan Todd, Matteo Montesero, Francesco Molinari, Danny Willett. Remember Smiley Kaufman, the fourth member of the Spring Break crew who played in the final pairing on Sunday of the 2016 Masters? Smiley's now 29 years old. He's squarely in the midst of his athletic prime. And he's ranked number 1,499 in the world, and hasn't made a cut on the PGA Tour since June 2019. And this isn't just unique to the best players in the world. If you've played this game at any level, you know there are days when it feels easy and days when it feels impossible. You'll get your handicap to an all-time low, and then you can't even make solid contact. There are stretches when you can't wait to get back out there, and times when you're worried that it's just going to make everything worse. So why does this happen? Why do golfers seemingly lose their game without any warning? What's happening, both mentally and physically, in the middle of a slump? And how do they, and you, get out of it? I'm Dan Rappaport, and this is Local Knowledge, the Golf Digest podcast that takes a deep dive into the most compelling stories in the world of golf. Today's episode will delve into taboo territory, the dreaded S-word. No, not shanks slumps. A quick note before we dive in. We're talking about dips in form that are not due to major injury. Obviously, if a guy breaks his wrist, it's going to be tough for him to ever get back to the level that he was at. The same with a back injury. You'll often hear David Duvall listed as a guy who fell off the planet, but that was really his body breaking down. It was the same thing with Tiger. But guys like Spieth and Fowler had drop-offs without missing time because they were hurt. Spieth, we'd come to find out, had a nagging hand issue. It was nothing major, but it was enough to cause some internal doubt. And doubt 
as we'll discuss, is death in golf. So we reached out to a number of players who have been through these seemingly inexplicable slumps, and basically all of them declined to talk, which is understandable. Slumps are, at their core, a crisis of confidence. They're painful for every golfer, and for a guy whose livelihood depends on his ability to break par repeatedly, it's a nightmare. The vast majority of professional golfers have had a crisis moment when they're reconsidering everything. Will I ever be good again? Do I even want to keep doing this? And no one wants to relive those moments. We did, however, find one guy who was down to talk. Harris English. Harris's golfing journey has a little bit of everything, and it's a nice case study for why a golf career is more often a roller coaster than a merry-go-round. Harris grew up in a small town in South Georgia called Moultrie. He began playing golf at a very young age, and he started breaking par, and this is going to piss you off, when he was 9 or 10 years old. Then he went to a prep academy in Tennessee, it was called the Baylor School, and he won the state individual title there. Then he got a scholarship to the University of Georgia, a breeding ground for PGA Tour pros, and he was a three-time All-American there. And then two months after graduating, he won an event on what is now the Corn Ferry Tour, becoming just the third amateur to win on the PGA Tour's leading developmental circuit. Then he played in the Walker Cup. He went to Q School and got his PGA Tour card, first try, back when that was possible. He kept his card as a rookie, and then he won twice in his second year on tour. So before long, Harris is inside the top 50 in the world and getting into all the huge events. It was all going swimmingly well, and people started to notice. The lights were turned just a little brighter, and he started to get some featured pairings. I was paired at the players, I can't remember what year, with McElroy and Justin Rose. Justin and my, might have just won the U.S. Open the year before or something. I mean, he was he was at the top of his game. Rory was obviously at the top of his game. And it's a little different of, of playing good on Thursday, Friday. Then you're in a marquee pairing on Saturday or Sunday. But starting out the event on Thursday, being in a marquee pairing, I feel like everything is, is ramped up a bit. I mean, it already feels like you're at Saturday or Sunday with – the crowds, um, it just feels like the lights are brighter. Um, everything's moving faster. And it was it was tough for me to get comfortable with that. And um, it, it takes a while. Some guys some guys get used to it right away. Some guys, it, it, like me, it, it takes a while for, for that to happen. Um, but that's probably the one instance where, or the, the one I can think of, of, of like kind of the oh shit moment. And it's not just that there's more attention on you, it's that you're now getting an upfront look at the absolute best players in the world. So, so many tour pros had childhoods, just like Harris's. They were the best player at every level. All the eyes were always on them. And then they get to the pinnacle of the sport, the PGA Tour, and all of a sudden, they're not the best anymore. Here's Dr. Michael Larden, a clinical psychiatrist who has worked with five major champions and a number of Olympic medalists. Oh, we see it all the time. So there's a, a young guy that I, I've helped here in San Diego for a number of years who, you know, superstar when he was young, superstar in high school, you know, and all of a sudden he turns pro and, you know, it's not so easy. So how do you deal with that? Um, so that is a, that's an issue because if you spend your early part of your life dominating, it, it's like academics, you know, you could be very good in high school, right? And then you get to college, you know, um, and all of a sudden uh, you realize, well, heck, I'm, you know, I'm not that smart. In this case, you get to the tour and you realize maybe I'm not the unicorn I thought I was. 
Here's Harris English again. It's easy to get out of your comfort zone a little bit of, of playing with the Rory McIlroys, playing with the Dustin Johnsons, and and watch them play. And it's like, why why can't I do that? Why can't I swing like that? Why do they hit the ball better than me? Um, and that's a tough that's a tough place to be because you go up and down on PJ Tour, you're always going to find somebody who does one area maybe better than you or does it a different way. Rory's going through his own struggles right now, but at his peak when he's playing well, and you know this if you've seen it, it can be downright depressing watching him hit balls. Not because he's bad, of course, but because of how freaking good he is. How effortless he makes it look. You'd think these PGA Tour pros are above the looky-loo mentality, but they're not. Here's Abraham Answer recalling his he's better than me moment. Yeah, so I I was playing my first event ever on the PGA Tour. I think it was in, in Napa. Uh, pretty, yeah, it was in, in Napa, the Safeway, and Rory, I was I was I was hitting balls at the range, hitting I don't know like seven irons, and it was kind of cold in the morning. And Rory sits up next to me, and he was I think it's the first time or ever that he's played that event. And I was like, man, this is this is awesome. And then he starts hitting these irons that just take off straight up in the air, carrying like two ten into the wind, cold like five irons. I'm like, oh my god, like. I can't do that, you know, and I started like thinking like maybe I need, I need to hit it higher, I need to hit it farther, so I started tinkering and that was still a terrible idea, but I just didn't know, I didn't know better and I, I struggled for a long time. And even Rory, with his gorgeous swing and his major championships and his hundreds of millions of dollars, fell victim to this. After shooting 79 and 75 at the players last month to miss the cut by a billion, he told reporters that chasing speed had adversely affected his swing. But he was already one of the longest players on the PGA Tour, so why would he go down that rabbit hole? Um, I think a lot of people did. Uh, I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't anything to do with what Bryson did at the U.S. Open. I think a lot of people saw that and were like, whoa, you know, if this is the way they're going to set golf courses up in the future, it helps. It really helps. You know the feeling. You see someone on the driving range, or maybe you're playing them in a match, and you wonder why you can't hit it like they do. So you start to reconsider your own move. And this seems to be at the root of these slumps. Guys start to think about their own game in ways they never have before. They begin to question their methods. They become envious of an aspect of someone else's game. And all of a sudden, they view themselves as not enough, as needing more. And this is a problem. This is a big problem. Here's Dr. Brett McCabe, another sports psychologist who works with a host of PGA Tour players. When we're lacking belief in ourselves, social comparison is the standard. So we start looking outside to see who's doing it just as good or better than us. Cameron Champ comes on tour, everybody wants to hit it further. Now Bryson, you know, we want to bomb it more and more. And we forget the fact of who we really are and what makes us be able to attack the game. So Harris starts getting put into bigger groups, and he also starts to get some big offers from different equipment companies. Pretty much played ping all my life, and then uh, switched to Callaway after the 2013 season, and I'd never really had the question of to question what lies and lofts I play, what grips I play, how how do I like the grips being put on the club? Just ping had always done it, mm -hmm. and I, I trusted them with everything, and uh wanted to explore Callaway. They were they were awesome. They believed in me. And it, it was just different for me. 
but PGA Tour pros are so good, and these equipment companies can dial in specs to basically match what a guy was playing before, so shouldn't these guys be able to play anything? Well, yeah. It's not like they switch and all of a sudden they can't break 80. But the margins are so incredibly small in this game that any minuscule drop-off can have massive ramifications. In 2015, Jordan Spieth won five times, including two majors. He won the FedEx Cup. He had 15 top 10 finishes. It's widely considered one of the greatest seasons in golf history. His scoring average that year was 68.93. In 2020, Spieth's best finish in 17 starts was a tie for 8th. He finished 107th in the FedEx Cup and tumbled down the world rankings. This was the height of his slump. His scoring average that year was 70.85. So less than two shots per round, or less than one shot per nine holes, separates one of the greatest years in this sport's history, and a year that had people wondering if Jordan Spieth would ever recover. And this is another reason golfers seem to struggle so much without warning. Maybe they're not struggling that much, it's just everything is so tight at the elite level. And the players are well aware of this, which is why any sort of uncertainty is killer. And switching clubs is another variable to worry about. Maybe you hit a bad shot and you start to wonder whether this driver is right for you. Or a wedge spins too much off the front of the green and you yearn for your old sticks. It was kind of a a weird time in my career where I was playing in the marquee events, being in the best pairings, playing the hardest courses, the hardest conditions, and, and here I am throwing in different clubs in the mix as well like it can it can really hurt your confidence and um i feel like it really hurt hurt my confidence in the game he's not alone here's sergio garcia a few weeks ago at the masters answering a question about his poor recent form in the majors some context he switched equipment companies shortly after winning the masters in 2017 uh obviously the the first (laughs) the first one is uh Unfortunately, signed with the wrong company, uh, and uh, and that took that took confidence of me. After getting to number one in the world, Justin Rose switched companies and started playing much worse. After winning the British Open, Francesco Molinari went from being an equipment free agent to signing an endorsement deal with a manufacturer, and he's now outside the top 100. And we're not saying that any one manufacturer is better than another. Guys play well with all the different companies. It's that switching adds a layer of uncertainty. And uncertainty is poisonous in a game as confidence-dependent as golf. Every good golfer has swagger, and uncertainty and swagger just can't really coexist. Here's Dr. Larden again. Phil always had a great uh, way of describing it. When he was playing well, he, he would talk about having swagger. So swagger is, you know, confidence, not arrogance. You know, arrogance is a false confidence, right? But swagger is, you know, I'm out here to, you know, show you what I can do. And I think if you're free, you know, right now, um, Will Zalatoris is playing very well. I know he said to the media a number of times and, and to me personally, you know, he's playing on house money. That's a great way to be playing um, or a great way to be thinking. You know, the pressure's not on me. It's, it's for me to go out there and, and see what I can do. It's funny. With the naked eye, you can't really tell the difference between a guy with confidence and a guy without. The swings look more or less the same. Internally, though, the conversation is very different. I can remember when Duval was struggling, you know, he hit a bad shot and he'd be thinking about, what am I doing wrong? 
And I remember once saying to him, when you, didn't you hit bad shots when you were, you know, number one in the world? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what did you think then? He said, well, then I used to think, well, heck, I'm going to just fire this one right at the pin. If you're going to gamble on golf, you may as well do it right. And for any golf fan who's curious about betting on golf but hasn't gotten serious about it, we have the podcast for you. Be Right is Golf Digest's weekly gambling podcast featuring the latest PGA Tour intel and picks from an expert panel that is up nearly 300 units this season. That's a gambling term, by the way. With thoughts from some of fantasy sports' brightest minds and even an anonymous tour caddy at our side, we've done our best to turn betting on golf into a science to help you make money off golf. While we can't promise that you'll come out ahead every week, we can guarantee you'll be well-informed and entertained along the way. So stop doing golf wagers wrong. And join us on Be Right. If you or I begin to struggle on the golf course, we can just take some time off. We can rest and reset. But most professionals don't have this luxury. Golf is what they do, and there are no guaranteed contracts in this sport. Unless you win on tour, you're fighting for your job every single year. So if you decide to take a week off, that's okay, but the other guys you're competing with probably are going to be playing, and you'll be losing ground. In team sports, a player can go on the disabled list and work out their kinks in the background. They know they have a contract for next year so they can get things right away from the limelight. A struggling tour player simply can't do that. They can't afford to take time away. Their FedEx Cup ranking will drop. So will their world ranking. And the world ranking can be especially cruel. Imagine having your work quantified every single week based on your performance. You have a a slow morning in the office and you drop in the rankings. Imagine the anxiety that would cause you. So that can be very, very toxic because you start to evaluate your performance. As soon as you evaluate your performance, judge your performance, it impairs your performance. They evaluate their performance. They don't like what they see. And so they start to search for answers. Harris English got antsy and it began to spiral out of control. You get tired of hearing the same thing over and over from a, from a swimming teacher. And you, you always think the grass is greener on the other side. I mean, that's, that's really what it is of... You play with a guy, and he plays really good, or he ball strikes the shot of, and you're like, man, I need to go see his swing coach. That's when the the searching started of, okay, if it's not the club, it's me. Like, okay, I got to go see this swing teacher. I got to go see that swing teacher. And it can kind of be a whirlwind, and, and then you kind of lose lose track of what is up, what what's right. Changing coaches, this is when things can really start to get off the rails. And it's super frustrating for these guys because more often than not, they'll stripe it on the range with their new coach. It'll look picture perfect on video. And then they get to the golf course under tournament pressure and the results simply don't follow. This is what happened with Harris. He dropped all the way to number 342 in the world in 2019. He was 29 years old in his physical prime and he was struggling like that. But, and this is important, he never lost his PGA Tour card. He did come super close, though. In 2018, he entered the last tournament of the regular season, the Wyndham Championship, needing a good week to keep his playing privileges. And, of course, it came down to the last freaking hole. I remember uh, I was right on the 125-126 border at the Wyndham Championship, I think in... 18. 18 or 19. Yeah, and I remember you, you shot, having the two You shot 67-68 uh, to finish T11, and you moved up from 132 to 124. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's nice stats right there. But, 
I remember having a two putt on 18 from kind of the front portion to the back left hole location at Wyndham. And I remember I was nervous as shit because it, it wasn't just about that where I was, where I was going to finish in the tournament was irrelevant. It was, man, I got a two putt to have my card next year to where I can play on the PGA tour. And that had a whole different weight to it of this isn't just this tournament. This is potentially 18 to 20 more events next year that I'm going to get to play because I two putt this. And I remember I putted it probably a foot and a half past the hole. I had a really good lag putt and there was no chance I was marking that thing. I just went up there and tapped it in because I didn't want to sit there and wait and think about all that. I mean, I, I kind of thought about all, all that afterwards. I'm like, man, I can't believe I did that. Brendan Todd wasn't so lucky. In 2014, Todd won the Byron Nelson and got as high as number 40 in the world. And then, absolute disaster, like full-on calamity. After a bad stretch in 2015, he started tinkering with his swing and seeking out different coaches. With so many thoughts running through his head, it got so bad that he developed an ultra-rare case of the full-swing yips. The full-swing yips. Most people think of the yips as putting yips, you know, where you get over a three-footer and your your mind just goes crazy and you miss the putt. But for me, it was, you know, long irons off the ground, uh, three woods off the ground. And, you know, it started at the end of 2015, and it really didn't let up until the end of 2018. Um, you know, I missed all the cuts in 2018 and was just wondering if I was ever going to really get it back and play again. At one point, Todd missed 37 of 40 cuts. Imagine that. You're showing up every single week knowing you're going to be humiliated. He fell outside the top 2,000 in the world rankings. He dropped down to the Corn Ferry Tour. And then, three months after that interview you just heard, he won back-to-back PGA Tour events. A slump is brutal, but it is not necessarily a death sentence. So what's going through a player's head when they're going through a stretch like Brendan Todd's, and how do you fix them? That's a great question. I mean, I think the first thing we have to do is we have to simplify it. That's Dr. Brett McCabe again. Usually people come to you, they've got a lot of mental chaos, a lot of mental trauma going on. And so the first thing I'll do is like, what do you want to do? Like, what, what do you want? You know, what makes you, what makes you tick? What makes you hit a shot? Usually if you ask them that question, you hear, well, I mean, it depends. It's like, okay, we're way lost right now. Like if I said, how do you hit the ball straight for you? You'll be like, well, you know, I want to do this and this. Okay, good. So, so is it your sense that most of the time it's, it's too many thoughts going on in the head? Yeah. They're, they're searching. They're trying. It, it's kind of like running uphill on ice, right? The faster you try to spin your legs, the worse you're going down. That's what happens in golf a lot. There's not a single golfer who hasn't gone through a rough patch. Now, not necessarily a slump, but a rough patch. But the best players in the world, the guys who stay in the top 10 for years on end, they have a way of containing the issues. Guys like Dustin Johnson, who shot back-to-back 80s at the Memorial last summer, then shot 78 in his next round, and then a month later he shoots 30 under par to win a golf tournament by 11. The second-place finisher that week, by the way, was Harris English. So how do guys like DJ keep it from spiraling out of control? How do they contain the struggles to a few weeks rather than a few years? They're better than anybody else at knowing who their psychological fingerprint is. They're better than anybody else on dealing with the the clutter. You know, they, I see a lot of times young players come out and they get, they get a team around them that 
you know, don't make this mistake, don't make that mistake, don't this. They got to the tour based on being aggressive and being directed. Um, you know, they, they don't change equipment a lot. They're not searching for the newest, greatest thing. Um, and so they're more mentally flexible is what, what I call it. The ability to adapt and adjust, but not change. They're able to take who they are and say, okay, I'm willing to have a little bit of patience. In short, they underreact to their failures. Golf is a game of imperfect. Even Tiger Woods at the height of his prime hit awful shots, terrible ones, 30 yards offline. But he was able to say to himself, hey, that was an anomaly and anomalies happen. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with me or that something needs to change. It was just an anomaly. And sometimes these anomalies last for the entire front nine or a whole round or a whole tournament or even two tournaments in a row like with DJ. But these players bounce back because they know that they can't always play their best every time on the golf course. The truth is you go outside, right? You go out to, you go out to any 19th hole, 90% of the guys sitting there are lamenting their round. We anchor against our greatest day. We don't anchor against our average. You know, I, I, it, it's crazy. The key then, especially when struggling, is to lower your expectations, to get back to basics, to aim for incremental gains, to know that you're not going to make one swing tweak, stripe it on the range, and then go out and win a PGA Tour event. Or, in your case, the club championship, and we're talking gross or net division. Now, you can tell yourself that you're one swing away from a turnaround, but you'd be lying. The recovery process is a slow burn. It's not a microwave. You also have to see progress happen over stages. First, I can do it at home on the range by myself with no pressure. Then I can go out on the golf course in a cart by myself with a beer in the thing, and I can hit the golf shots, and I'm starting to see some confidence there. Then I can do it under pressure at home. Then I can do it in a tournament at home, and so on, right? You just can't go from A to Z and think it's going to happen. That's where expectations get out of control and we get frustrated. You have to do the basics. For Harris English, that meant finding a coach, in his case, Justin Parsons, who could help him get back to doing the things that got him to the PGA Tour in the first place. It meant going back to his original equipment manufacturer, Ping. It meant accepting the golfer he is and the golfer he isn't, owning his swing, rather than trying to emulate someone else's. To circle back is, is what I've gotten back to is what I've, what I've done in high school, college, and my first couple years on tour. Why, why these certain characteristics in my swing are the way they are. And I can't change it. I just got to always keep improving that. And I mean, I'm, I'm working on the same stuff right now as I did back in 2011. I mean, it, it doesn't change. And I know throughout my career, I'm probably going to have to work on the same few things in my swing. And it's not going to go away. In January, Harris won for the first time in over seven years at the Century Tournament of Champions. It capped a really strong run of play. He made the Tour Championship last year. He's back inside the top 25 in the world rankings. It is possible to come out the other side. Look at Jordan Spieth. To his massive credit, he never cycled through swing coaches. He stuck with Cameron McCormick, his coach since he was a kid, despite everyone calling for him to make a change. He didn't fire his caddy. He didn't switch equipment companies. He didn't chase distance. Granted, it's easier to be so patient when you have dozens of millions in the bank and you aren't worried about losing your tour card because you've won so much. But still, Spieth trusted himself and his people through it all. Surely, that made the eventual payoff that much sweeter. And in the state of Texas, Jordan Spieth breaks the winless drought. Good for him. What a win.
Local Knowledge is produced by Gregory Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Weinman. The music for today's episode is called Dancing on the Sofa, and it's by Lobo Loco. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to download the episode and leave a review. It's all a huge help. Thank you.